Oh wait, I need my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast. My name is Nathan Foster, and today we're working with an essay that I wrote about being irrelevant. If you uh, do not have the essay and you'd like to read it, you can get it at renovare.org. My guest today is Mimi Dixon. Uh, Mimi is a pastor in Golden, Colorado, uh, and part of the Renovare ministry team and board. Um, she's my friend and a quite um, amazing woman, uh, so I'm very, very glad that you're, you're with me today. Thank you. Uh, let me just start with the quote that kind of kicked this essay loose for me, and it's uh, a quote from Henry Nowen that I ran across a few years ago. And um, essentially what I did was take this idea that he talks about and then try to work with it for, for a month, and then that's what the, what the essay came about from. But here it is, and this is Henry Nowen from his book, In the Name of Jesus. I'm deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her vulnerable self. When I read that, it completely messed with me. Um, but Mimi, what are your uh, thoughts on that uh, particular quote or idea? Well, as I said a moment ago, Nathan, I really appreciated reading your article because I thought you nailed it in important ways, mm-hmm. not just as a concept, but in terms of the very real struggle that we experience every day. So... Uh, no, one of my favorites and a book that was triggered in my mind as I read your essay and I was invited by you to look at it in terms of my own experience with the discipline of irrelevancy. Um, I was reminded of a book that was published after Now and Died called The Selfless Way of Christ, Downward Mobility and the Spiritual Life. Mm. And that's exactly what... Um, he was talking about in this quote, it was written in 1992. And um, in 1981, he had written a series of articles for Sojourner that explored the same subject. And boy, uh, it is a call to follow Jesus into being irrelevant, to set aside our desire for power and to no longer need to be spectacular. In other words, to set aside and release our drive for success, visibility, and influence. So it is so countercultural. It is what life in the kingdom of, of God looks like, and it is so different from the world in which we're married and raised, where the opposite of that is so normal. Yeah. So in taking this on, I applaud you. <laughs> Thank you. G- give me those. You said three uh, forsaking the desire to be successful, vi- visible, and what was the third one? And influential. Influ- influential. So being, I mean, in one sense, the discipline of irrelevancy is to forsake those three things? Is that accurate? Yes. Successful, visible, and influential. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, how, well, how does that play out for you in your life? That's a great question. Um, One of the ways that I think, having grown up, particularly as a a Westerner, as an American, um, 
to be successful for the kingdom of God means to be visible. It means to be influential. It means to have power. Mm -hmm. It means to be able to provide measurable, visible evidence. Their ministry is making a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. And so for us to move into a place which is where now and struggled so deeply in many of his writings and, and addresses in this series of articles that were published in this book on downward mobility, to realize that Jesus forsook all of those things, our drive for um, relevance and to be relevant and spectacular and powerful. And, and he talks about those in relationship to the three temptations that Jesus confronted immediately after his baptism when God said, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. Mm -hmm. okay. So. Jesus struggled with those things. We struggle with those things. I think it's part of the, of the humanity of who we are. So how can we be effective if we're not visible, if we're not successful, if we're not influential? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now it goes through and says, well, the people of Israel, God chose poorly if he was looking for visibility and power. <laughs> and Mary, mm -hmm. a girl, who then became his mother and to come as a baby, not as a as this um, influential Messiah coming down from heaven and invading. How does any of that make sense? So for me, it becomes a question of: Can I trust that God knows exactly what He's doing and where He's placed me mm -hmm. in the work He's given me to do? Mm -hmm. Can I leave outcomes with Him? And simply express as clearly as I can what the disciples say, you know, what Philip said, um, come and see. We think we've found the Messiah, come and see. Mm -hmm. And to witness to that experience. So for me, it becomes a matter of radical trust. Trusting that everything that's happening in my life, where I am, the circumstances, everything, mm -hmm. that God is in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to overthink it. I just seek to be as open and clear in communicating my experience of Jesus, inviting people into it, and leave outcomes with Him. Mm -hmm. So, do you? Um, how do you deal with the kind of pressure to have some kind of um, movement in your career, or to you know, kind of uh, move to the next level and things? Well. That's also a good question. I don't know anyone, Nathan, who hasn't struggled deeply with the question of, am I doing enough? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Am I doing it right? Mm -hmm. Are people coming to faith? Um, the people that God has given me responsibility for. In your students, your students are your little flock, as Peter puts it in his letters. They are your little flock. Are you tending the flock well? Mm. Are they growing? Are they becoming stronger? Are they connecting to God? Are they finding their place in the Trinity? Are they living out God's plan for their life? How do you know? Mm -hmm. And I, many of the ways that I have learned growing up in this culture to measure the effectiveness or the productivity is statistics. Right. So you ask a right question and saying, um, one time I was talking to Dallas about this and I was saying, Dallas, it just doesn't seem 
what's the good of having an intimate relationship with Jesus if you can't communicate it, if you're deaf, dumb, and blind, if there are no words, mm-hmm. if, if what you are experiencing of him is so good and so vital, and yet your ability to communicate it seems to be so stunted, so, so vague, so inadequate. Mm-hmm. And Dallas said, your heart is in the right place. Because what you have is a longing for others to know Jesus as you know him. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, at the end of the day, Mimi, that's between them and God. It's not any of your business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a satisfying answer. <laughs> you know, you're, get over it. <laughs> yeah, you want a technique. You want to say, well, if you do this or that. And we, the aisles in bookstores are filled with techniques. Uh-huh, uh-huh for how to market Christianity, how to um, present it. Barna, in one of his books that Kent and Mike referred to in the renovation of the church, recommended that we harness the consumer culture Mm -hmm. and take advantage of it Mm -hmm. in order to present, you know, to present Jesus in a way that people will respond to. Mm -hmm. And boy, the disciples, that's not a new thought. The disciples were recommending that Jesus make a different kind of choice all the time. One of my, I got to tell you, one of my favorite passages of scripture is, um, is in John chapter four. Now we just think about it as the woman at the well, and then we focus on their conversation. But what interests me is where it starts. Okay. Because here they are down in Judea, and it says that people were coming out to them mm-hmm. at the river. And they were making, baptizing, and making disciples. Hmm. So this wasn't some little little thing that wasn't having an effect. It was being very successful. Now, if I were one of the disciples, I'd say, this is the show. This is the deal. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. God is showing us his favor. This is what I signed up for. This is ministry. There are visible results. Every day you can count them off. We baptize this many today. We're making this many disciples. People are hungry. Then one morning Jesus gets up and he says, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, they've got a weekend, a week of crusades planned. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm leaving. And they're all confused. He's joking. Well, no, he's not. He packs his stuff and he heads off down the road. And they're standing there trying to figure out, do we follow him or stay here? And while they end up following him. So they get to Samaria, right? They say, well, where are we going? We're going to Galilee. What? Galilee? This is where the action is. All the prophecies around Judea. We can't go up to stupid Galilee. (laughs) Nothing's happening there. Uh And Jesus just says, suit yourself. You know, I'm making this, obviously. So anyway, they get up there. They get to the well. They're going through Samaria. I mean, that's like strike three, right? They're going through Samaria. He's in a big hurry. He doesn't even go around. Now they're going to have to explain it. They're unclean. So they come to the well. Twelve guys leave to go into Samaria for food. Twelve guys. Not one of them stayed with Jesus. I think they had some talking to do. Mm. Hmm. So I can just imagine the conversation as these 12 guys, the disciples are walking into town. They're saying, somebody's got to talk to him. He just doesn't get it. He just <laughs> has the weirdest ideas. Here we were having all this success. <laughs> and he leaves. What is he thinking? Mm-hmm. 
Somebody's got it. John, you talk to him. When we get back, you talk to him. And we'll pray for you while you talk to him that he gets it this time. <laughs> I mean, you can just see it. So they go into, into town. They finally come back. Meanwhile, this stuff is happening with the woman at the well. When they start, when they come back, you see them coming up the hill. They come up to the hill and they see there's Jesus sitting there. Who's he talking to? Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. <laughs> he just doesn't get it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So anyway, as soon as she sees them, she leaves and she hurries into town. Mm-hmm. And they come up to Jesus. It's very awkward. They say, well, well you brought you some lunch. And he says, I don't, I, don't, I don't need any lunch. I have food you know nothing about. Mm-hmm. So I imagine there was lots of poking of feet in the dust and, and avoiding eyes. And, and finally, somebody says something. I don't remember what it is. I don't have the text right in front of me. And then Jesus says, don't you see it? Mm-hmm. Can't you see the harvest here? Mm-hmm. Well, no, they can't. Mm-hmm. This is not a harvest they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A few minutes later, the woman comes back. They came back with lunch. She comes back with the whole town. Hmm. And they stay three days, and at the end of it, they said, "Now we know for ourselves, not because you told us, but we know for ourselves that this man is the savior of the world." Hmm. Hmm. What do you think it was about that experience that led him to that conclusion? Well, if the conversation of the woman at the well is very interesting because Jesus is essentially saying, "I am here because of you." He leaves a crusade Mm -hmm. for one person who's a woman who's a Samaritan who's rejected by her own people. Mm -hmm. This is a woman who's hopeless. Mm -hmm. And he asks her for something to engage her. And then as the conversation continues, he says, well, I have something for you, too. I came here for you. Mm -hmm. And then she says, well, I'm realizing that I think my whole understanding of God, everything in this conversation, there's something awakening in me. Where should we worship God? You all say Jerusalem. Our people say here on this holy mountain. And Jesus says, no, 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 it isn't any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Respond to what's happening here for true worship is in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. So I think that that conversation, if you, if you look at it bookended by what was going on with the disciples, which frankly I'd never thought about before, mm-hmm. but to think about what was happening and how he confronted them with an understanding of the kingdom that one person like that, if you, whatever you do for one of the least, one of the least of these you do for me. Mm-hmm. Could they see her at all? Do you even see this woman? Right. So uh, I just think God's ways are so completely different from mine. I would have wanted to go back to Judea, too. I would have said, you know what? There's enough daylight. If we hurry back now, maybe everybody hasn't left. Mm-hmm. And, and we can correct this mistake. Right. So what if it's not a mistake? What if everything, once we say yes to him and we become his apprentices, what if everything... It's part of it. Mm. And it is downward mobility because where does Jesus run? He runs to the people who are hopeless. Mm. Not to say he ignores the others, but usually there's not enough sense. Well, often there's not enough sense of real need for someone to feel that Jesus is any more than an added kind of bonus or Mm. if you're really desperate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
But here was a woman who had nothing. And he leaves the crowd for her. Right. Right. Mm. The, the cultural values of success and um, uh, achievement and what we consider to be important work, I mean, these things get so woven into who we are. And I, I sometimes think that we will... Um, put that, bring that into our um, Christian experience, and that these same values kind of oh. dominate. You, yeah. uh, and then to forsake that and to let go, and to you know kind of follow the Jesus way, um, can have some consequences that can be severe, um, but but actually quite beautiful too. Mimi, you shared with me a story about when you went to Nazareth. Um, could you could you tell that to us? Yes, um, I had gone on a tour with Larry and Rachel Crabb, and there were several buses of us. Our bus, each bus had about 30 people on it, and we were on our way back to Jerusalem. It was probably about 3.30 in the afternoon, and our tour guide said, you know, Nazareth isn't that far from here, mm -hmm. so I'm wondering if we might want to just drop by for a few minutes. And most of the people in the front of the bus were saying, yay, let's go. So we drove up there. So it's, it's a very, we left this nice big highway to this windy little road and wound our way up into the Judean hills, finally got to Nazareth. It wasn't very close at all. Mm. Well, this big bus is driving down this narrow street, which was very difficult because people all had to sort of clear out of the way. It gives you an idea of how small and narrow the streets are. Well, we were headed to the well in town, and he was talking about this is where Jesus would have gone to get water. So that's what he was talking about. So I turned off the headset, and I just started looking around. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that there are people that have probably gone to Nazareth and had a different experience than I did, but I think the Spirit wanted to squeeze something out of me through this that I hadn't ever thought about before. I wasn't even aware of in myself, which you say so well in your article, many of these things we don't even know are there mm. until something happens to squeeze it out. Right. So I was looking around and there were um, doors open and music pouring out at loud volume and people were jostling in the streets and there was trash everywhere and um, lights were just beginning to come on and it was um, it was not a tourist um, destination, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we stop and we get out of the bus and they all go over to take pictures in front of the water well thing. And I just went back and stood and looked both directions down the street. And a thought came to my mind and I, I started feeling, um, I, don't, I don't really know what the right word is, um, offended. Okay. I felt I felt offended by Nazareth. Well, very shortly thereafter, we got on the bus. We're leaving, and we're driving back down these real dark roads. In a, and out loud in buses, which are very noisy, so nobody could hear me, I said, you made a mistake. Hmm. Now, I was saying this to God the Father. I said, you made a mistake. You knew going in. You know everything. You knew Jesus had 33 years, but you kept him in this place, this place. For 30 years, 90% of his life, he was in this little place. He was incognito. He was hidden. Mm. 
nobody even knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And I was, I just said, you really blew it because if, if, okay, if you want him to have the small town experience, fine. (laughs) But when he was 12, you should have moved him into Jerusalem, put him in an apartment, let him start working with the movers and shakers, maybe do some writing, get on the circuit and and build a mega church maybe mm-hmm. and maybe even move to Rome the real center of power so i'm thinking all this i'm spinning all this out you should have asked me i said <laughs> well then this thought comes into my mind i thought oh my gosh i sound just like the disciples uh-huh. they were always poking him to do it differently saying you don't understand how this thing works but we do if you would let us just shape this campaign it could really take off. And Jesus just kept plugging his ears and going la 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 and doing something else. He was he was taking his orders from those nights when he would go off in the hills alone and he would pray. Mm. And he was struggling against those same things as Nowen says in his book on, on downward mobility that he confronted at the very beginning of his ministry. The struggle to be relevant and powerful and spectacular, mm-hmm. and he just he just said no to all those ways that are part of this world, but not God's word world. Mm-hmm. So I'm riding in the bus, and by this time I've kind of worked myself up, you know. And I've never I've never thought about this before. I've never I, usually I've just gone along and saying, "Well, God knows best. That's fine with me." But this time I just thought, "Oh man, think of what just." Think of what could have happened mm-hmm. if Jesus had gotten out of that place sooner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, our tour guide had talked about archaeological digs, that there were 50 families. They haven't found any estates, no nice pottery. So this was like blue-collar families, nothing going on there. Mm-hmm. Then I started thinking about the time they went back. One time they tried to kill him. You can't, you can't visit the house Jesus grew up in, like the house of Anne Frank. There was no university ever established. Not one disciple came out of Nazareth. I just thought there was nothing to show Mm -hmm. for 90 years. Excuse me, for 90% of his life, 30 years. Well, I get back to Jerusalem. And just before I got off the bus, I I heard a voice ask, what do you think about your Nazareth? (laughs) Well, I didn't respond to that. I just clamped my mouth shut. And I, I was mad about that, too, and confused, mm-hmm. thinking I, there isn't anything else I can think to do. Mm-hmm. So I go up to my room. I didn't feel like dinner. I go up to my room. I lay down on the bed. And as I was telling you a few minutes ago, I, I saw these two hands appear, just hands, holding this very heavy ball, okay. like a bowling ball, only smaller. And then I saw myself standing at the foot of the bed that I was actually lying on at the time. And as I looked at the bed, I could see that it was it was a beautiful quilt that was strewn with marbles. Mm-hmm. There were probably 30 marbles just all over the surface of the bed. And as I watched, the hands put the bowling ball or that heavy ball very carefully in the center of the quilt and released it. And the hands went away. And I saw the ball push the quilt down and all the marbles started rolling toward it. Mm-hmm. Clink, 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 clink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I heard the same voice um, as before say, when I placed my son in Nazareth, mm-hmm. the weight of my glory pressed down in your world and everything rolled toward it. Mm-hmm. But nobody knew that. <laughs> and I thought, 
oh my goodness, it was intentional. Of course, you know, you would say that. It was intentional. It was deliberate. It had a purpose that I was too blind to see. Mm -hmm. And something had happened in those 30 years that made everything else in some way possible. Mm -hmm. So in the last few years, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about Nazareth. What happens in Nazareth? Hebrews 5 talks a little bit about what it was like for Jesus. It says he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned to trust God despite appearances and to do what God asked him to do. Not my will, but your will be done. Which started in the wilderness. Mm. He just said, no, no, no. I will not be visible. I will not be influential. I will not try to be spectacular. Mm -hmm. I will not use ways that are not God's in order to get people's attention and keep it. Mm -hmm. I won't do it. And, and he changed the face of the world in that utter simplistic way of forsaking the mechanisms of the culture. And to trust him with outcomes. Now, we, we already know Revelation says that in the end, Jesus wins. Right. And that God's will will prevail. So what does it look like? For you and me, people who are who are struggling deeply with saying, we know what success and visibility and influence look like. We know how to do this. You're asking us to do something different. Does that mean that we then become that that our presence means nothing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in fact, something very different is going on. Um, I really like N.T. Wright's book on hope. Okay. And he says. Um, Glad to share something if I can find it here. He's talking at the end of that book about how what his what God's vision is for us and what our place is. And um, okay, here it is. He says God wants us to be a sign and foretaste of what God wants to do for the entire cosmos. We are to be part of the means by which God makes this happen, both in the present and in the future. And he says, God is going to take everything in this present, present world that bears the mark of his love, goodness, power, and loving compassion and use it as the raw material out of which the new world will be made. Mm. So nothing is lost. It's extremely powerful, but it's, it's powerful in the sense of a weight of glory that's invisible here. But Paul says in Ephesians, it's the whole cosmos is watching it. Mm -hmm. They know what's going on. So right around Nathan Foster <laughs> is, this, is this great big hole, this weight of glory that marbles are rolling toward. Mm. And you can't see it. Hmm. I think that's a downward mobility. It's a weight of glory. And maybe, maybe good we can't see it. <laughs> yeah. Helpful. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I pick up from what you're saying and then, and then this, this concept, this idea of why did Jesus go to this, you know, kind of run-down space that had uh, where the power structures weren't, where the spaces of influence were not. Um, and thinking in terms of that being intentional is so helpful for me. Um, and one of the things I notice in being in an academic institution working with students is that they're always looking ahead 
and they're always thinking of the next thing they're going to do. And it's almost as if life is forever waiting. Uh, yeah. And it, it's some it's somewhere else. Yeah. And I think it's probably possible to live our lives always the next, you know, and then and then caught up yeah. in this idea that I'll really be useful when I'm at this job or when I have this degree or when I'm living in this place. Um, and and that's potentially very contrary to uh, kingdom life. Um, and, and just to kind of, in, in, in closing, one of the other pieces that comes to mind for me in hearing this is this idea of becoming to value the spaces that we're in. And I heard this quote a few years ago that I absolutely love. It's just grow where you're planted and yeah. to be fully invested in our Nazareth. Well, I very much enjoyed this. And uh, thank you so much, Mimi, for your uh, interactions with us today. Thank you, Nathan. This is a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye.